If you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to, once again, to the tiny book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk chapter 3, and we'll be working our way through that uh, this morning to end our series on the book of Habakkuk. If you haven't been with us uh, through that, I invite you to, to go back and, and read through that. Um, you can get that on CDs or listen to podcasts as well, but I at least ask you to, uh, to go back and read through the book of Habakkuk. It's only uh, these three short chapters, but there's a lot, of, um, a lot of good challenges in there for us as a church. We talked about uh, the first week, if you, for those of you who are here, um, from chapter 1, why does God allow suffering? Why is there suffering in the world if God is such a great God? And some challenges in that, and how Habakkuk questions God and challenges him on why in the world there's suffering, and God simply replies to Habakkuk to, uh, to trust him and that, uh, that he is at work. Habakkuk then goes on and asks God the question, why is it that Christians seem to suffer? Those who are trusting you, God, seem to suffer, while those who turn away from you seem to be prospering. And God says uh, two things, really. One, he says, well, he is at work, and he will bless and restore those who have faith in him. But he also reminds us what's in store for those who don't follow him. And although they may seem to prosper uh, in this life, uh, those who uh, do not trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior uh, will be eventually separated from God for all eternity, where those who trust in God, although they may seem to suffer at times, even throughout most of their life on this earth, uh, they will go on after this life to be in the presence of a loving Heavenly God. And this week we're talking about how we are to respond when our ways don't match up with God's ways. Now, I don't know if you've ever had that happen. I think that happens pretty often when God has plans that just don't seem to match up with our plans. And we want to see how Habakkuk wrestles with the challenge of responding to that. Now, I grew up, as uh, most of you know now, in a little... Uh, farming community and a farm in the, the hills of Kentucky, in southeastern Kentucky. And it's the farm that my father was raised on and his mother before him. And uh, so the land had been in my father's family since the uh, mid to late 1800s. And so uh, they've been around those parts for a long time. Now, every year uh, since the, the early 80s at least, um, my family started having the, the Jones family reunion there on the, the old farm where all my dad's brothers and sisters and all of their family uh, would come every year on the weekend before the 4th of July and uh, have a big family reunion. Now, dad had eight siblings. Um, five of them lived to adulthood, and they had family that spread all across the country. And so every year we would have at least 50 to 60 people that would get together and um, have this good family reunion. And it was great. And I remember... Um, as families do sometimes, they, uh, uh, there's always a bit of competition on, on things. And um, every year, uh, we'd have one of Dad's brothers would come in a new Cadillac, which was, you know, the big uh, mix at the end of the time. And another brother would come in his big motor home that he had. And uh, there was always kind of competitions on who had what and who had more money and who, you know, who's better, whose family was doing better, I guess, uh, in these family stories and catch-ups. And... Um, I remember my mom always felt a bit left out because we never had much money or anything on the farm. But finally, 
after about 20 years of living, just over 20 years of living in the, the house that they built on the farm, uh, they were able to remodel the, uh, the bathroom and the kitchen. And mom was so excited about this year when everyone comes in, they're going to see this new uh, bathroom and, and kitchen. And uh, she was looking forward to it. Now, mom uh, is never one to show off anything, no. She's, she's so humble, but I don't think I've ever seen her so proud of, of, of a toilet before. Um, <laughs> but she was so proud to show everyone this new toilet and the sink and uh, how the, the kitchen cupboards were. But uh, those of you who are a bit more country, I guess, would understand this. Uh, on our farm, we lived on well water, okay? So um, there was a, a well that um, they dug when my dad was a child that's about 350 foot deep, and there was a pump in the well that pumped that up, and then we used that for our, our house. Um, now, the day of the, the uh, family reunion, as everyone's coming in, the pump died. And so all of a sudden, we've got this great new toilet and a great bathroom and kitchen and no running water. And so um, it, it's the only time, again, I, I've never seen my mom so proud of a toilet. I've never seen her so ashamed of a toilet. She was, she was crying over this toilet. You know, we had no water uh, for the bathroom, no water uh, for the sink. And all of a sudden, the cars start arriving and people come in. And so um, I had the, uh, the fortunate responsibility of walking back and forth with five-gallon buckets, uh, if you know those. Um, and we walked um, probably, um, it was just a few hundred meters to um, the pond, uh, back and forth, and I would go to the pond with these two five-gallon buckets, fill them full of water, and carry And so next to this beautiful, nice toilet, we had this five-gallon bucket of uh, dirty pond water that uh, every once in a while we'd have to open up the tank and pour the water in to have enough to flush the toilets. Uh, now we were able to get... Um, containers of water to cook with and to wash with and things like that. But needless to say, uh, mom spent a lot of time as people were getting there in her room crying uh, because this is not exactly how she had seen things planned out in her mind. Uh, and uh, nothing had seemed to go to plan. But later that day, one, day after, one of the times after I was carrying in these five-gallon buckets, uh, one of my, uh, my aunts, and Emma, came to me and she chatted and she said, Oh, she said, isn't this great how we're having to do things this year? And she said, this just reminds me of how we used to get water. Uh, she said, when your uncle uh, Lehman used to live here, said they used to, you know, there was no running water there. They just had an outhouse or a, a dunny, and said we would, uh, we would carry up uh, water from a local spring in these five-gallon buckets and uh, enough so that they could wash their clothes and stuff with. And she said, it just reminds us of, of how it used to be and of a simpler time. And uh, several of the people responded that um, it was kind of the best reunion ever. They felt, maybe it's because they weren't carrying the five-gallon buckets back and forth. <laughs> um, but uh, everyone enjoyed it and had a, had a great time. And uh, I just find in life, there are so many times when we just think we've got it all sorted. And at this time, everything's going to be perfect. This time, it's going to be wonderful. And what happens so often, it just seems to, to fall apart or... God has something else in store. God has something else in plan. Now, uh, I'm not saying God cared whether we had the well water or the, the pond water. Uh, I don't think he, it bothered him either way. Um, but there are lots of times when life just doesn't seem to work out. Life doesn't go the way we want it to, whether that's in simple little things like the pond water or in some big things in life. And the challenge here from Habakkuk is how do we respond to that? How are we meant to respond when, 
when our plans don't match up with God's plans when he does things differently. Well, we'll begin in Habakkuk chapter 3 to look at that. I'll read just verses 1 to 11 to start with. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 to 11 says this. This is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, prophet on Shiganah. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens, and His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Plague went before Him. Pestilence followed His steps. He stood and, the earth, and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kishon in distress and the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea when you rode your horses and your chariots to victory? You, covered your, you uncovered your bow and you called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water swept by. The deep roared. And lifted its waves on high. The sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. This is a time, if you remember about Habakkuk, Habakkuk's writing in a time of incredible suffering. They had been, uh, the, the people of Israel had been attacked by the Assyrians, and God lets him know not only that, but I'm about to send the Babylonians to attack as well. Things are going to get much worse. And Habakkuk recognizes that a lot of this is, is punishment because of the sins of the people, because they refuse to, to turn to God and to trust God. But he's calling out in, this, in the middle of all of this intense suffering. And it seems like nothing is working out. Nothing is going to plan. And how does Habakkuk respond? Beginning in verse 1 or verse 2, really, of, uh, of chapter 3, he responds by reflecting on who God is, on recognizing the God it is that he serves. And he begins by recognizing God as, as the creator of all, that he made the, the mountains and the sea, the rivers and the streams. He divided the, the land from the water. He created all. He is the, the conquering king, is the one who is completely holy. Nothing on earth can stand against the power of our God. I find this interesting because when we're in those times when nothing seems to be going to plan, when we're in those times when it seems like nothing is going our way, the first thing that often pops in our mind isn't, aren't you amazing, God? The first thing that pops in our mind isn't, wow, aren't we serving a great God? The first thing that pops in our mind is, God, why am I not getting what I want? Why are things not working out for me? I'm serving you. I love you. I read your Bible. I pray. I go to church. I have to listen to Mike every single week. I go through a lot of suffering in life. Why are things not working out for me? But here Habakkuk is going through incredible suffering. Incredible times of suffering. These, the people are dying around him. And he starts off by saying, God, I know who you are. 
I know things aren't going to plan at the moment, but I know above all of that, I know that you are a great God, a strong God, mighty in power, the creator of the, of the ends of the earth, a mighty, mighty king. You are the Holy One. Verse 3 says, His glory covered the heavens and His praise filled the whole earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. Wherever He comes, there's light and hope and power. God, You are a great God. Now, I found some of the greatest times in my life are when I've simply stopped and realized who God is. There's a simple little verse in Psalm, which many of you know, that simply says, Be still and know that I'm God. Psalm, Psalm 46, 10. It says, Be still and know that I'm God. Now, there's a big challenge in that. Because it means stop and realize who I am. Stop and know that I am the God of your life. This God, this great God, this victorious King, this strong and mighty Creator and Sustainer of all is the one who has your back. Is the one who's leading you through each day. This God, this awesome God. Now, I've, I've loved times when I've stopped in the chaos of life and I've just stopped and started praising God and started thinking about who He is and looked at the Scriptures of all that He's done and seen the times that He's been there for people over and over again, recognize the times in my life when He's been there for me over and over again, and I start to realize who God is more and more as I take my eyes off of the scenarios around me, the situations around me, and I put them on God, it's amazing to me how little the problems seem. Have you ever noticed that when we are focused on the problems, when all we see is the challenges around us, man, the problems seem huge. When we look at God, who's an immensely big, great, strong God, all of a sudden the problems don't seem as significant anymore. Because I know... I know that I know that I know that no matter what the challenges are we face in life, our God is big enough. He's strong enough, which means even when things aren't going our way, He's able to take care of us. He's able to see us through. And Habakkuk begins by really recognizing and looking at who God is and what He can do, and that immediately leads into repenting for our doubt. You see, we are so blessed in this country. We are. We are just so blessed, even just to be living in this country, with wealth for spoil and the, the land of sweeping plains. We really are blessed, far more than, than most people in the entire world. And in fact, I think the downside of that is sometimes we are so blessed that we forget our need for God. We think we've got it all on our own. We think that our own power has built our own empire. We have bought our home and we have provided for our family. We have done these things and we forget that it is God and God alone who is in control. He has our days numbered. We have no idea when will be our last day. We have no idea when that job is going to fold in, when the house is going to be destroyed by a storm, whatever it is. We don't know, but God is in complete control. And we often pray to God because we think we have it all, we've done it all ourselves. We often pray to God, really doubting that He's going to do it anyway. We often pray to God for healing, doubting that He can do it. We pray to God to provide for us, 
knowing that we're just going to have to do it on our own or thinking we're going to have to do it all on our own. We often forget the great God that we serve. Whereas there are people in, in Africa and Asia and in different countries, uh, especially in the eastern part of the world, who have very little, but they trust God for everything. And they see God providing for them in incredible ways. And they just praise God, although they are, in our standards, they are going through incredible suffering. By our standards, by our Western Australian standards, we think, wow, they have nothing. And people will say, I have everything because God is with me. And not only do I have abundance in this life because God provides for me, but I go on to be with God in all of eternity in a place with no more tears and no more pain. I think we as a church have to be challenged to stop and to recognize who God is and to repent of our doubt in Him. Verse 2 says, Lord... I've heard of your fame. I, I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In your wrath, remember mercy. Say, God, forgive me. God, I bow before you now, my great God. And I want to say, things aren't going to my plans. Things aren't going the way I want them to. I don't understand this suffering. I don't understand what's going on. But God, I know you are that God. You're that powerful God, and you can do incredible things. So God, I want to submit to you and just trust you. Not only do we need to reflect on who God is and repent of our doubt, but we need to recognize that God alone is the judge. In a world where we seem to think that we have it all under control, we also want to tell God how to handle things. But Habakkuk responds differently. Look with me again in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 12 to 16, says this. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to, toe, head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. With his warriors stormed out, when his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched who were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Here... Habakkuk says, God, I want to see these people who are causing such suffering. The Assyrians and the Babylonians, those who are attacking the nation of Israel. He said, I want to see them done with, God. I want to see them destroyed. But God, you are above all that. You're above all the situation. You are in control. You're the one who allowed them to come in. And, and you've asked us to trust you. You're a great God. Forgive me, God, for the times I haven't trusted in you. And God, I'm going to ask you to handle the situation. I know, God, that you love us. And I know, God, that you will come to our rescue. And you will see even these most powerful kings, the Assyrians at the time and then later the Babylonians, were some of the most powerful rulers of, of all the known world. And yet here it says, you just walk on the water. 
and it just stirs it up enough to trample the kings and all their horses and chariots. See, we like to think we know how to handle things, but we can't even handle our own anger. We often, God responds so often in love and in grace, although He has such great strength and majesty. We're not strong at all, and yet our first response when things aren't going our way is often anger and judgment. We know how God should handle this, and we just don't know why He's not listening to us. We're like, God, you need to wipe that person off the face of the earth. Didn't you, you know what they've done to me? Or God, you know how my boss is treating me. Take him out. God, you're the powerful one. Just do it. We respond in anger and in judgment. But anger just causes more and more damage for us. And more and more damage to the situation. We need to trust God. Now, I learned um, years ago when I was working at a, a counseling center for, uh, for teenagers with anger management issues. Now, you may say, no, there's not any teenagers that doesn't ang- have anger management issues, I guess, but this was a, a court-ordered program for drug and alcohol rehabilitation and, and um, drug and alcohol or, uh, and anger issues. And so these are, are court-ordered kids. They've been in and out of uh, juvie and, uh, for anger issues and drug and alcohol stuff. And one of the things we learned is, um, now this sounds really important, okay? I'm trying to sound smart here. So it says, uh, anger is, is both cumulative and behaviorally sequential, okay? You with me? No, I wasn't either until I, I read back to this. Anger is cumulative and behaviorally sequential, which means, and it's transferable, okay? So three, three big phrases for you. It's cumulative, behaviorally sequential, and transferable. What that simply means is anger just builds up over time. It's cumulative, okay? And so... What happens is you can get angry at one thing, you can let that go. You can get angry at another thing and maybe let that go. But inside, if we don't really forgive, it just keeps building up. If we're not really willing to forgive and actually let go of that, that anger just keeps, we're like, oh, that's all right. And you might, be say, you might say she's all right, she'll be right, but it just keeps building up in us. But also, it's behavior is sequential, which means it actually keeps affecting different behaviors in us. And so maybe, um, you know, maybe you're okay uh, and then you stub your toe and you're angry with that and then someone swears at you in, in traffic and, and gives you a certain sign out the window and you're upset with him. And so you get home and you, you can just feel yourself getting more and more angry. So when you get out, you slam the door and, and it starts affecting your behavior as this anger builds up. And then anger is transferable, which means sometimes the things you take your anger out on aren't even the thing you were originally angry with. Does that make sense? So an example of that is a man gets up in the morning and he's running late for work uh, and he puts his toast in and burns his toast uh, and then he, he's uh, on his way out the door, stubs his toe, uh, hurts that and uh, right before he's ready to, to walk out, his wife says, this is it, I want a divorce. And so, and he's on his way out and he's like, oh, this is great, this day can't get any worse. Gets in his car and what happens? The battery's dead on his car. So he finally gets, gets a hire car to come and pick him up, and he makes his way to work, and his boss says, that's it, you've been retrenched. We don't need you anymore. And so he's on his way home in his nice little hire car, and all of this is just getting to him, and he's flying down the road, and of course he gets pulled over and gets a speeding ticket. 
And then he gets to his son's soccer game, and he puts his, co- his money in this Coke machine, and what happens? The can of Coke falls about halfway down and stops. So what does this man do? Well, he starts beating and kicking the Coke machine. And he's like, you were going to give me this thing, and he's shaking and beating this Coke machine. Now, what happens in the story is the man wasn't originally upset with the Coke machine, and if, if it was just the fact that the Coke fell, he probably never would have started beating this Coke machine up and taking it out on him. But, but anger, it, it just causes destruction when we allow it to build up and to, to, to accumulate in our life and to not forgive. I say that to say we all have those little things happen, but all, you know, too often in life, we have some big things happen to us where we need to learn to forgive and to let go of them. The people, you have to understand, the people Habakkuk's talking with, the people he's, he's pleading to God on their behalf, they're being tormented. They're being tortured. They're being killed. Their whole villages, their whole community, being buildings burnt, lives taken. And he wants revenge. He wants his enemies wiped out. We would too, wouldn't we? And yet he says, although these people have caused incredible suffering, God, I need to leave that judgment to you. In your strength, in your majesty, in your holiness, you know what's best. You have the power to do this, and I know you do. I will leave you to be the judge. You are a conquering king. I need to leave it in your hands. I say all that to say, when you and I have those challenges in our life, those incredible times, not just you're stubbing your toe or getting fired from your job, those incredible times where you've been done wrong again and again and again. We have to trust God. We have to let Him be the judge. We have to let Him handle the situation. And, and you, your, your responsibility really is to look after yourself, to, to forgive and to let go of those things. Because if not, you just carry it around with you. And it builds up to the next thing and it builds up to the next hurt. And before long, it comes out. And when it comes out, it comes out with a vengeance, doesn't it? And we've all had that happen where, you know, husbands talk to me and say, oh, man, I blew it. I blew it. This week, you know, everything's been going wrong with work. Things have been going wrong with the family. And I've been holding it all in. And then all of a sudden, when I let it out, man, I let it out. And I let everybody have it. And we so often do that. We, we just let that anger build up. When, when God's challenge from Habakkuk is, let me have that. You see, we can't carry around that pain. We just don't do it well at all. It builds up and we suffer from it and our families suffer from it and our workmates suffer from it. People in the community suffer from it because we're not showing God's love anymore. We're just showing that hate and that resentment and that judgment. But God... God is big enough to handle those dramas. He's big enough to handle those problems. He's big enough to handle those challenges. Psalm 55, 22 says, Cast all your cares or all your anxieties on the Lord, and He will sustain you. He'll never, never suffer the righteous to be moved. He is big enough to carry those problems. Leave them with Him. The last challenge is that we need to renew our trust in God. We recognize what a great God it is we serve. We've asked him to forgive us for, uh, for the times in which we 
we forget who he is and how great he really is. We recognize that we are not to be the judge. That is for God alone. And last few verses here are beautiful verses. Verses 17 to 19. Talking about how we need to renew our trust in God and how he looks after us. Look with me in verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my, in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to tread on the heights. Now this is both a beautiful passage and a weird passage, a strange passage. Because he's saying, although by the world's standards, everything is falling apart. I've got nothing. There's no crops. The fig trees aren't budding. There's no grapes on the vine. Habakkuk here is talking from a farming community. There are vineyards all around. If these vines don't produce the grapes, the people suffer and the people die. When he's talking about there's no sheep in the fields or cattle in the stalls, that's their wealth. People often didn't have money, but they traded with the, the cattle and the sheep. And he's saying when by the world's standards, the world would say there is no hope, we need to trust in God. He's acknowledging that when everything is going against us, when nothing is going our way, we need to trust in God. Now, this is kind of opposite of the, world, the world's view of success, isn't it? The world would say, you're successful when, when everything, when, when you've got the, the houses and the land and, and the, there's enough money in the bank. Maybe you've got the boat in the back lawn or whatever it is that, uh, that is your treasured possession. The world would say, yep, he's got it all together. Or, yeah, she's doing fine. The marriage seems happy and you know, you've got the wife and the picket fence and 2.5 kids and uh, all the, the statistical perfect family. The world would say everything is going great. You're a success. But here, Habakkuk says, when my world looks exact opposite to how the world says it should be, I'm going to praise you. Because my hope is not in these material things. My hope is in you, our great God. Now, instead of hope, this looks like despair, doesn't it? It's a picture of everything falling apart. Nothing going to plan. It's a time when we would be suggesting to friends that they pack up and move because there's nothing else that left for them. But here Habakkuk says, you do something different for me, God, because you do the impossible. Verse 19 says, The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Now what is that talking about? What does it mean? It means that God can do the impossible. Verse 19 is literally saying, there's no more food where I can see. There's nothing providing for me. And, and humanly possible, I can't do anything else. I can't make it to where there is any food. But God, if you want to, you could make my feet like the feet of a deer so I could climb up the hills and I could find new food. I could find new places to go. 
I could find shelter. I could find provisions. You are the one who does the impossible, God, to make it possible for me to survive. You will provide for me. And so even when the world says that there is no hope, I will hope in you. When the world says that there's no more hope for your marriage, the Bible says trust in God. When the world says there is no hope in your employment, trust in God. When the doctors say there is no more hope, there's nothing else we can do, I want to say God is in control. Trust in God. And when the world pushes against everything that God's Word says to live by, I want to challenge us as a church to stand strong in the Word of God and trust in God. You know, they say that the darkest part of the night is just before the morning. I say that just when you're about to break from, from the pressure, when you've just had enough and you say there's no more, hope is coming through. God is in control. And even in those darkest of hours, even when it seems like there's no hope, when the world says there's nothing else for you, God says, I am in control. I am with you, and I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And so I want to say, church, if you're in that position, hold on. Remember who you are serving. Remember the God of power and of authority. He is your Father, and He loves you, and He will be there for you to provide for you and see you through. Remember that He is the judge. He will handle the sinful. He will handle the wrong. He will take care of those situations. You let go of those burdens, those problems, and trust in Him. And remember that God will take care of you. Even through the darkness, even through the pain, even through the trials. He is great, and He is strong, and He will see you through. Remember that even when it seems like it's all falling apart, He allows us to defy nature, to walk up to the heights, to find food and protection and rest. However you are finding yourself this morning, through the joys or the challenges, I pray that you take time to stop and recognize who God is and trust Him in your life. He is a great God. And I want to challenge you, even when it seems like it's all falling apart, when it seems like nothing is going to plan, praise God. Trust Him. Recognize who He is. See how He has been there for people throughout all of time, how He has been there for you in your life. Count your blessings and trust God. It's the old hymn. Many of you know it. I put a little phrase of it on the bulletin this morning. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. And I love that. Because it's saying it may not always go to our plan. may not always go the way we want. Trust and follow His commands. Trust and obey Him. And you'll find joy even through the midst of the trials. You will see God is there and He is strong. Let's just pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank You and I praise You that You are a great and a mighty God, our conquering King, who's bigger than any dramas, bigger than any problems, and able to handle the challenges in our life, whether big or small. And God, I thank You that You use all of that power and authority and might to love us and to care for us. Lord, help us. Help us, God, who are going through times of struggle and times of suffering. Help us, God, to respond by knowing who you are and trusting in you, our great God.
Help us, God, to not turn away from you in the hard times, but to cling to you and to know that you are mighty and you're strong and you're loving and that you will see us through. God, help us to leave, leave the judging for you. Help us to leave the conquering of the problems to you and help us to follow you in the ways that you lead us, to trust and obey you, our great Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.